So I promised a funny story. And I'll begin with this, which is a story I think about all of the Brahma Viharas, but there's definitely a good dose of equanimity in here. And this passage is from a book called The Heart of the World, which is a memoir or meditation on explorations in the high Himalayan mountains in the 1980s and 90s when a group of Buddhist pilgrims went to explore these famous waterfalls that are hidden in northern Nepal, southern Tibet. And it's said that they weren't, hadn't been discovered before. But I think that's from a very colonial perspective, that there were Sherpas and, and locals and native people who had been living there for generations, but very difficult terrain, difficult to navigate, all kinds of obstacles. And this small group of pilgrims were a mixed group of some Westerners and some Sherpas and guides and uh, several Lamas and Rinpoches from the Tibetan tradition who were on pilgrimage in this sacred, uh, all these sacred lands, these mountains and river, river valleys, waterfalls. So this is about a particular uh, tulku. Tulku in the Tibetan tradition is a high lama, high Rinpoche. And uh, this is written from the perspective of one of the Westerners. Okay, so he says this from his diary, and he says, Today was particularly bad for me, as the rain would not let up, and the leeches were relentless. At one point, I counted 22 of them sucking on me at the same time. Sloshing along the muddy trail in the pounding rain, I came upon a large, slimy log that had fallen chest high across our brush-choked path. In my agitated state, I viewed the log as a menacing obstacle that was clearly separate in my way and against me. With no way under or around, I jumped, stomach first, and slid over the top. Regaining my balance on the other side, I was infuriated at the mud and decaying mush that seemed to have covered the entire front of my body. Rubbing off the crud, I cursed the log and the goddamn rain. It was my brother Todd who suggested that we wait and see how the llama would handle this formidable impediment. Surely this test would break him. Hiding off the trail, We peeked through the underbrush, just in time to see him trudge up to the log. Ever smiling, he took a couple of steps back and tried his jump with a running start. With not enough momentum, coupled with a portly belly, he slid back down on the same side of the log and landed on his back in a large puddle. Shaking his rain-drenched head, he burst into spasms of uproarious laughter. 
Staggering to his feet, he repeated the same maneuver with the same results no less than three times. With each collapse back into the puddle, his laughter grew stronger and louder. On his fourth attempt, he made it over the top and slid headlong into the muddy puddle on the other side. Again, the laughter was knee-slapping. Continuing to chuckle, he wiped himself off as best he could, lovingly patted the log as though it were a dear friend, and proceeded up the trail, smiling. Todd and I just stared at each other. So I think this sense of humor about what we're doing, the sense of our obstacles being a a game rather than an impediment. So equanimity is maybe my favorite Brahma Vihara these days, although I really love each of them. But this is the last day we have to talk about the Brahma Viharas, and so I want to share some reflections on this fourth quality of upekka, or this over, like taking the wide view. Upekka means to look over this long distance. You can see lots of the landscape, like the bird's eye view. So we've been really in it with these relational qualities of love and wishing happiness and compassion and wishing freedom from suffering and joy and celebrating along with those who are happy around us. And each of these three really needs equanimity to keep them in balance, to keep them from getting too sticky or overwhelming or exuberant. So I just found this passage today from Ruth King. She's explaining equanimity. She's a great teacher on equanimity. She says, equanimity can feel internally like a great mountain with the mind solid and stable, undisturbed by the changing seasons. Or it can be like the ocean with the mind vast, deep, and immeasurable, undisturbed by whatever swims, floats, or is housed in its waters. Equanimity can be like a strong fire, roaring, engulfing, and transmuting, undisturbed by whatever is thrown into it. Or like immense space, open, allowing, and receiving, undisturbed by the objects that arise and pass away. And you might have had some of these experiences today as we're doing open awareness, resting in spaciousness, the knowing that can really have a lot of space around whatever's arising. There's a sense of steadiness with it. The awareness itself is undisturbed. So just by way of rounding out these four, I want to offer some images. 
And these are from Bhikkhu Analyo, who's a German-born monk in the Sri Lankan tradition, really a scholar, a translator, a teacher living in Massachusetts. So he says that uh, metta is like the noonday sun, that it's shining bright, the middle of the sky, kind of basic over everything. Compassion is the, the sky at sunset, where the darkness is near. There's a kind of poignancy and ending, but it makes the colors all the more beautiful. And then mudita, or joy, is like the sunrise. The birds are out and there's dew sparkling on the grass. And then equanimity is like the full moon at night. And we could add that it's also like that fingernail moon that we've been having with Venus in the sky. Just so peaceful. And the light is different. The quality of connection is different. There's still connection there. But it's a cooler, more beautiful. I mean, it's equally beautiful, right? It's just a quieter, more peaceful kind of connection. So like all these other ones, there are near and far enemies. And the near enemy of equanimity is this kind of indifference. Some of you have been talking about nihilism or just this sense of like, it's all just a rainbow, doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter, I don't really care. And we can tip very easily into that kind of apathy, complacency, even just a flavor of indifference. Very tempting, this attitude, when we're faced with the world. Right? We're not reading the news, thank God. But when we do, we go back, or even we have these thoughts of climate and the violence and the war and the injustice that's happening. Our system can get flooded and overwhelmed and we just tip into, I think I'm just going to go contemplate emptiness for a minute. I mean, sometimes that can be skillful because it's resourcing, but often it can tip into this kind of like helplessness. I don't care about this anymore. I can't care because what can I do? So it's a very important practice to be able to discern, and we can feel it in the body. When we're in a true state of equanimity, we are very engaged. It is full of metta and karuna and mudita. It's a warmth and a dynamic feeling to it. And yet, we remain unmoved. We're not stuck or seduced or pulled into the, the chaos, the push and pull of it. It's almost hard. It's hard to talk about, isn't it? But you, you feel it, and I know we felt it in the room. Equanimity is the doorway to all the other kinds of freedom. So, how can we find that steadiness that's in alignment with our truth, connected, engaged, full of love, but also not checked out? Not apathetic. So phrases for equanimity that I use and I find helpful are 
simply pointing to this coming together of circumstances. We've been seeing how conditionality means there's all these causes and conditions that come together to make things the way that they are. So simply a phrase like, things have come to be this way. This is how things have come to be. And I like this, things have come to be this way because it points to that cause and effect relationship that reality, our inner world, the outer world, it's all coming to be as a result of causes and conditions. It's unfolding lawfully. And sometimes we can say this is simply karma. There's nobody possessing it. It's just unfolding according to law, according to the cause and effect nature of things. Things are as they are. Or just this. Sometimes simply just equanimity. Just this. Or the last one I really love, and this points to the present moment, is just now is enough. Just now is enough. So then the, the traditional phrase that we'll work with in the meditation today is, uh, it goes like this. It can feel wordy, but just feel into how, it, how the heart responds. When we say, I am the owner of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and not on anybody else. I love this phrase, when we do equanimity for ourselves. And I spent an extended period of time really working with this particular phrase in practice. And what I found was once I got beyond kind of the heaviness, it felt like too many words, once I really felt into the meaning of it, I am the owner of my actions. It's like taking back my agency. My happiness and unhappiness don't depend on what other people think about me. It doesn't depend on external circumstances. Simply my own habits of mind. And I might not have control over anything else. Things are ungovernable and unreliable. But what I can uh, guide and direct and cultivate are my own good habits. And in some ways, the Buddha taught this is our one true possession. We don't possess the body. We don't possess any outer possession, our relationships. We don't possess any of that. But we do possess our intentions. So can you feel how it makes us sit up a little straighter? I'm the owner of my actions, my happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and not on anybody else. And then we usually start with equanimity for somebody else. And here we go. See how this lands. How is it to wish this phrase for someone? You are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. So I work with a lot of people and families, sometimes parents, 
And there's a sense of like, this is the highest bar, I think, for people who have families and partners and parents and children. You're the owner of your actions. You're the, you're responsible. And sometimes it can feel a little disconnected, like it can feel like we're cutting them off. But actually in the practice, what this is, is a deep kind of respect. I give you back your journey. And a kind of seeing people in their completeness, right? In all of their good decisions and all their bad decisions and what we like and what we don't like. You're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. So in the best sense of upekka, it's a deep kind of dignity that we're offering the world, and it's the healthiest kind of boundary. Here's my responsibility. There's yours. Give it back to you. So we'll practice this some together, and you know, you can play with it. It took me years to understand this phrase and to feel like it was resonant. It was just always so many words, and like, what are we talking about? It just feels distant. So if this phrase isn't resonating, it's okay. You can use just this, just this, or simply that sense of sitting like a mountain, being wide and vast like a deep ocean, the space of awareness that can hold it all. So really feeling into what this means, this upaka, this seeing over. Okay, so really good to be in a comfortable posture. (sighs) Starting with the body. The body itself actually has a lot of equanimity in it. Another translation for upeka is equipoise. So feeling into this sense of balance, of dignity, uprightness in the posture. Sitting, lying like a mountain. And now staying in the body, you might take a moment to reflect, just being with yourself, using yourself as the first category for upeka. And see if you can see yourself from a bird's eye view. Maybe just starting with this week here of practice, just reflecting on all of the 
moments of good intentions. Maybe reflecting on moments of confusion where we don't quite know what to do. And you can include here also moments of feeling regret or even shame, maybe seeing parts of ourselves we don't like to see. And can we hold this all with a deep sense of wide view, seeing how things unfold over time, how we're kind of just always doing our best depending on the conditions that are here. How the arc of time is wide and we change and grow and stumble and get up. All of this right here inside. Can we hold it all, the picture of this particular being with a kind of grace, with a grandmotherly kind of love? Like, yeah, sweetie, you're just like this. It's just this, the whole thing. And then reflecting with a lot of warmth and care, like I am the honor, the owner of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and not on anybody else. I'm the owner of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and heart, not on anybody else. And if you'd like to keep repeating the phrase, noticing how the mind and body respond, and just resting in this felt sense of balance, poise, allowing for ourselves to be just as we are. I am the owner of my actions. 
my happiness and unhappiness depend on my habits of mind and heart and not on anybody else. And now the invitation can be, if you'd like, you can stay with yourself. Or if you'd like to switch to, usually we start with an easy person, and this is someone you might not know so well. So it could be maybe someone in the room, a kind of neutral person for you. Maybe not someone you're really close with, but just maybe a stranger, neutral person, and take some time just considering their beingness. Just like me, there's all kinds of trials, tribulations, and joys, and sorrows, all kinds of wholesome intentions and unwholesome intentions, just the whole fact of being human considering the humanity in this neutral being here. Maybe just another yogi on retreat. And then maybe just quietly trying this phrase, dropping it silently. Like, my friend, you are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and heart and not on my wishes for you. Being very curious about this quality of steadiness and balance. You are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and heart and not on my wishes for you.
And now lastly, you can stay with this person if you're feeling a sense of quiet connection. Or just a play, you can think of a friend, maybe someone you know a little better. Maybe not your closest person, but just a friend, an acquaintance, a colleague maybe, and you know them, you know their lives, you know their circumstances, you know their ups and downs, their personalities. And just spending a bit of time considering their circumstances, their particular situation with qualities, personalities, just feeling into their life, who they are, seeing them whole. the wide perspective. And then dropping in the phrase, seeing how it lands, my friend, you're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and not on my wishes for you. You are the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your habits of mind and heart and not on my wishes for you. Okay, so then as you're ready, just letting go of the phrases and the image and really not having to do much at all, just being very simple here, resting back in awareness for a few breaths.
So just a few words about this practice and really invite you to explore it. It's such a good one for heading back out into the world, although we're not thinking about that yet. (laughs) But just put it in your backpack because so helpful, so helpful. Also, I think this steadiness of heart and mind is the birthplace of forgiveness. Of grace. So when we can really start to see first ourselves with that clarity and the sense of trajectory, like look at this whole span of a lifetime. We know ourselves so well. We do. We know our strengths. We know our resiliency. We also know our weaknesses pretty well. But when we look with those eyes of a grandmother, can see the whole long arc of things. There's a lot more sense of, I'm just doing the best I can way back then when I did that stupid thing. Just working with what I had at that time. And so there can be more spaciousness and forgiveness, self-forgiveness in that way. Same thing with others. We really start to see them in their fullness, all of their conditions. There are reasons that people are deluded. (laughs) And we, we see that kind of as a law of nature. There can be a little bit more grace, forgiveness of their just working with what they've got. And again, like we were saying this morning, often that's just a little narrow slice of reality. They can't see the whole thing. So it gives birth to forgiveness, gives birth to compassion, to a kind of peace and letting things be as they are. Doesn't mean giving up. My Tibetan teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche, says, letting go does not mean giving up. And this is the balance that we're working on. So I'll just leave you with one last Pali word. (laughs) All these words. So upekka, equanimity, another word for upekka is tatra majatata. And I love this word because it sounds like what it means. So you've got the maja. So tatramajatata means standing in the middle of things, being steady in a world that is shaking. And maja means right in the middle. We're called, human beings are called maja, like maja beings, because we're medium-sized beings. There's like smaller beings than us and there's bigger beings than us. We're medium-sized. And that's that maja and tatramaja tata that we can stay right in the middle of the storm and things are raging. Things are raging right now. Can we hold our poise? Hold our seat, hold our center. Because that is the place we want to move from. The most integrity the most connection and courage and skillful wisdom that's right there found in our own center, the quiet of our own center. The world needs people who are in that space. That's what we're doing together. So thank you so much for your practice. It's really a gift. And uh, invite you into the next moment here.
keep going together. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.